Welcome back to The Jewish Story, a Jewish history podcast for the 21st century. In this show, we'll take a look back at the history of the Jewish people, relying on historical documents, archaeologic artifacts, and linguistic data to paint a picture of the past. I am hard at work preparing season two of the podcast, which I hope to release sometime this fall. But in the meantime, please enjoy this special episode where I discuss the last three episodes of season one with Sherry Wolf Elazar. Sherry has spent a career as a Jewish educator, both as an elementary and high school teacher, where she used experiential learning to create deep connections between her students and the material. Since stepping back from teaching this past year, she has been working as a mentor for education students, hoping to pass on decades of experience to the next generation. Please enjoy this special episode with Sherry Wolf Elazar. Maura Sherry. No, 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 no. I have a rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you graduate grade 12, it's Sherry. Okay. And, like and everybody says, okay, more Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, thank you, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, when, I, when I was doing these episodes, these three, um, I had you in mind because you were the first, you were really the one who taught me some of these things when I was six, seven, eight years old, whatever it was in grade two. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so I thought it would be so fun to have you back on and talk about um, talk about the history again, sort of come full circle. Well, you're definitely the poster child because <laughs> um, I just want to start, thank you for having me on. And uh, I just want to say that I listened to those three episodes and I, w- I was quite mesmerized. First of all, you're a brilliant storyteller and that's how I felt. I felt like I was listening to a story. Of course, it was, you know, based on historical fact, but the way you expressed yourself, and that is what Jewish tradition is. It's, it is all about storytelling, you know, and ideally from one generation to the other. So this is kind of, this is really an honor and thrill for me to have one of my star students <laughs> come back and actually know way more than I do. <laughs> so I, I always believe there's, I can't remember the exact statement, but there is a statement in somewhere in the Mishnah Talmud that says, you know, the teachers should learn from their students. So this is the epitome of that. Oh, well, this, I'm very excited. I think this is going to be a whole lot of fun. I hope so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, for, for those uh, people who are listening, sort of, who don't know you or people from elsewhere, can you first start off by just telling everyone a little bit about who you are and, and sort of your background, both in your education, but also in your work? Okay, very, very quickly. Um, I really grew up with very little uh, Jewish background or education or experiences. Um, I had a, a little bit. I went to camp, but but mostly um, I sort of, I went to live in Israel after a few visits, but I, I made Aliyah and lived in Israel for about seven years. And that really was what sparked, obviously, my, my interest. But truly, it's when I came back to Winnipeg and became uh, a teacher in the, in the Jewish school system which I really, I was a really a Judaic studies teacher for 40 years. Um, and I just retired a year ago. Well, I'm going to call myself reactivated, not retired, because I'm still working. But um, so that, that's my background. And I taught Judaic studies all through those years. But I also taught what we call general studies, English, not math, <laughs> but the, you know, the humanities. So that's, yeah, that's basically my background. Um, and it was really a calling for me. It was, it was I, you know, I, I finished last June still absolutely loving what I did. That's awesome. And, and beyond that, I remember, because I, as you mentioned, I was one of your students, I remember <laughs> not only were you a Judaic studies teacher, but also, I mean, there was 
storytelling and music and sort of all of these things infused into what you did? So one of my passions always from the beginning, and I, I actually believe that it was the genesis of it was being at BB camp as a kid and having one of the, mo the only positive Jewish experiences I had growing up. Um, I am passionate about experiential education, and I think that's how we should learn everything. I mean, within the constructs of the classroom, sometimes that's difficult. So the way I tried to do it was through art, through music, through storytelling. You know, I wasn't a big, you know, writing test kind of teacher, even, even through high school, which my students were quite thrilled about until they found out they actually had to work much harder. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, so thank you for that. Yeah, it's, it was really a passion for me. Still is. So why don't we talk a little bit about the history, and I always like to open these with just kind of first impressions, and if there was anything that you heard in these episodes that maybe surprised you. Well, I felt like I was listening to a soap opera, <laughs> which we know that, you know, that, you know, history's about people, so there's always the, the drama. But, uh, yeah, no, I certainly learned a lot of detail. You know, I over, you know, in terms of the overview, I, I, I you know, knew generally. But uh, it was fascinating to me to listen to the, the drama, basically, and the, and the personalities and, and the, you know, the relationships. That's always been the part of history that's fascinated me, not the dates or places or, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that was, yeah, I, so that, that was what was fantastic for me. But, and that's what kept me mesmerized and interested. One of the things I did notice that I think is extremely important is you always created context before you went into the story. And I, I think that's, that's crucial in any, in any learning. You have to know context. I mean, even when you're studying a novel, like before I taught high school English for years, and I would always make them, first of all, do a bit of a bio on the author and what was happening in the world at that moment, especially in the country if, that that author was from. Because if you didn't understand that, then you would miss half the book. Yeah. So I, so I, I admire that, that you did that. You know, one of my big uh, hopes for, especially these guest episodes, which are always my favorite yeah. ones, uh, is to try to draw some connections between some of the history, especially this early history that sort of was so long ago, drawing parallels between that and, and modern Jewish life um, and sort of bringing things into the foreground a little bit, making things a bit more relevant for people now who, who might be listening. So, Daniel, I wanna, yeah. can I speak to that? Please, please. So, one of my fundamental, you know, rock-solid philosophies of every single thing I taught, especially in the Judaic realm, whether it was Torah, whether it was Jewish history, prayer, everything. It had to be connected, A, to the person's life on a personal level, and B, it has to be, it has to be relevant to today. Like, why would I bother, you know, learning this ancient text when I, you know, talk about Torah? Why would I bother with all the minutia of this, of this history if it didn't have some meaning for me and some relevance? And I, I would like to get into that later on, but that is, that is better. Like, literally every class, every time, that's all I ever did, even with the little guys like you guys. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why do I need to know this? Mm -hmm. What is this teaching me? You know, I was taught Torah as metaphor. You know, people, did that really happen? Is that really true? And I would always say, I don't really care. Like, I, maybe that's like an inappropriate response, but I, I, it was never the point. It was about the story and what we are to learn from, whether it was divinely inspired or, you know, that, that's another conversation. So I agree, and I think that, that, that we have so much to learn. Um, one of, just to respond to you, one of the um, organizations that I've learned a tremendous amount 
about teaching history is Facing History. And if you have not been on their website, I highly encourage you to do so. And I've taken a number of courses with them, and their main philosophy is it is important, and of course this isn't just Jewish history, to teach people about history, why we see what failed, what was successful, and that informs our choices in our lives and what we are going to do and how we're going to choose. And, and if you want to narrow it down to identity, you know, in terms of our Jewish history, where did we go right? Where did we go wrong in these episodes? Clearly, there's a lot of wrong, and, and we can talk about that later. You know, and so what is that, how does that inform our not only personal choices, but our collective choices as Jews? So that's the reason to study history, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's very relevant. I totally, totally agree. Um, and, and I thought, why don't, we, why don't we sort of go back and start almost at the beginning of this sort of set of three episodes yep. and talk about yep. before the Maccabees, um, you know, we, I talk a little bit about early life in Greek-ruled Judea and Egypt and sort of how the Jews and Greeks coexisted and how they got along and what so that society and that dynamic was like. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, sort of your thoughts on that and also whether you see any anything different or anything, <laughs> you know, that parallels, like, life today for Jews. Well, you know, the the whole, you know, it's, I mean, to me, it's it's so clear that we're almost reliving that very thing. It was a bit of a golden age. You know, Jews were more or less left alone at that time. They were more or less you know, left to, to, you know, they had religious freedom, more or less, and, you know, as much as anybody could in those days. But, you know, there was, you know, what what stemmed from that, and I, I can speak of that and today, is we're in that very same situation, especially in North America. You know, this is the best, you know, the golden age of Jewry, I believe. You know, we're completely free to observe how we want, you know, complete freedom. But, one of the negative things, of course, by straddling these two, you know, these two worlds, because most of us do, even those people who aren't quote unquote practicing Jews, we still have that identity and, and we straddle these two worlds often, some more than others. And that leads to confusion, I think, about identity. It leads to, you know, we have this draw of the, of the dominant culture. And there are many wonderful things about the, you know, that we should embrace and, and make part of our lives. But it is a huge push-pull. And, I mean, we can go into many, many examples of that. Like, if you chose, you know, for example, to observe the laws of Shabbat in however you, way you would interpret that, you know, even if you chose not to work, you know, you know a lot of people, you know, they're part of the gig economy you know they don't get you know very few people I'm learning that this year have a nine to fiver you know it just doesn't happen so how how do you you know how do you do that how do you you know talk to your boss about not working on Saturday and why and I mean that's just one tiny example so it is you know it, it is a it is a huge huge challenge that I think most Jews grapple with yeah, I, I know I certainly had that experience. Even, uh, you know, my job being a, a doctor is certainly not 95. And um, especially on Jewish holidays, I find oh, yeah. having to, and thankfully I've got a very supportive, you know, uh, program around me, but even bringing up those conversations of, you know, yeah. taking work off or scheduling, you know, work placements at certain times so that I can avoid being out of town for the high holidays, for example, is it's something I think yeah. about often. I talked with uh, Matthew Leibel 
uh, a few months ago now about the cyclical nature of Jewish history and how we do see echoes of things sort of rippling out of Always, time. which is why we need to study it, you know, to see, oh, I, oh, I, I recognize this. What happened, what happened to them? You know, so we never, ever, ever want to dom- demonize the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Like that, that 100%. But, you know, I think there's some, like, values, you know, in, in, in Judaism that are a healthy counter to what happened. You know, for example, I'll go back to Shabbat. You know, when I try to talk to students about embracing something about Shabbat, you know, maybe it's just not doing homework on Shabbat. I said, you know, we always, so many people look at Shabbat as, as a restrictive, you can't, 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 can't. But I see the restrictions as liberating. You know, if I, you know, can't talk on my phone, if I can't work or whatever you choose to do, that liberates me. It frees me to create this, this like, you know, as, as Heschel says, this palace in time to decompress, de-stress, be with family, talk face, you know, all the things you may choose to walk in nature, things that we, instead of driving a car, it, it really liberates us. So we can look at Judaism in some ways as a sort of a antithesis to, to some of the things in our society that are, are weighing us down, causing us anxiety. That's how I always try to look yeah. at ritual particularly. Mm-hmm. To It needs to enhance my life. It doesn't Anything that takes away or makes it more difficult without some kind of benefit to me or society or my family, then I put that, put to the side. Yeah, I totally, I totally feel the same way. Um, and that actually, your comments kind of made me think about too, what your thoughts are on, we talked a little bit about just now, sort of the way that uh, being Jewish in modern society has echoes of sort of how life was in Greek uh, times. But I wonder, what, did, what were your thoughts on sort of how the Greeks viewed the Jews back then? And, and it, how do you think Jews are viewed by non-Jewish society today? Okay. Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> to s- oversimplify, you know, there's really two groups of, groups of There's three groups of people. They're the groups that really didn't care, like not even in their, in their bubble or their consciousness. I think there are, are many, and I would hope the majority, who really see this anomaly of Jewish people you know we talk about you know per capita you know Nobel Prize but part of that is just the value we've placed on education for all not just for the elite I mean that's been a a Jewish value for you know thousands of years that whole concept you know the three-year-old you put the honey on the Torah scroll that their first contact with literacy is is a sweet one I mean that that's thousands of years old um, so I think that is, has really contributed to that, and for all, not just for the elite, like I said. You know, so I think there are people who, you know, who have great admiration for the, the success and the contribution, most importantly, that Jews have made to, you know, general society. And then there are the others who consider us others and who look at us as arrogant and power-hungry, and I mean all those anti-Semitic tropes that are completely untrue. Um, and sadly are ramping up these days. Mm-hmm. So in terms, from my understanding, from listening to you, I think there was a, there was a curiosity. Um, I, I, I think that it was sort of live and let live, and I think that was just part of Greek society in general, not specifically for the Jews. Yeah. But uh, in this sort of de- democratic-ish 
kind of experiment that, that started at that time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I, well, and I, so that brings us to the whole reason I, or one of the main reasons that I wanted to, to talk to you about this, yeah. which is that you were obviously the one who was my Jewish studies teacher and taught me the Hanukkah story for probably the first time. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Jewish education in general and, okay. and why you think, and I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on this, on the importance of it and how it's done and if you think, and one thing I wanted to ask you about is, what's, one thing that surprised me about all this is how much overlap there is between Jewish history and world history, which I had never realized before looking into this. Um, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are on the division between Jewish studies and you know, secular or English studies, and, and if you think that, if there, first of all, if there is a movement in education to sort of blend those things, and if not, if you think that's something that would be valuable. So, truth be told, so, Daniel, I only taught you in elementary school, but I did have a, I don't know, 10, 15-year career in high school, and that is exactly how I taught. I, it, it, to me, it, it is impossible to silo history, because all, history is the interactions between peoples both internally and externally. So for me, in terms of content, I always taught in a, in a, even, you know, especially when I would teach about Shoah. I mean, I never just taught about Shoah, you know, how, how did World War II begin? How did the Nazi movement, you know, there was always those contexts. I mean, that's world history um, and, and how the other countries, you know, you know all, the, all that before I even said the word Shoah. Mm -hmm. so, so in terms of content, I always taught, like, what was going on in the world that some sages decided they should write the Mishnah? Like, why, why was it written down this oral law? Because, the, like, Yehuda HaLevi, uh, Hanasi, sorry, who wrote it down, thought, I think the Jews are going to be destroyed any minute, and I, I, I need to make sure that this doesn't die with them. So I always talked of it in context, like we started our conversation. And in terms of pedagogy... I all it was like I taught it like an English course, you know, all the, the strategies, all the philosophies, technology. That's how I taught, even if, even as a, a grade two student, even unbeknownst to you, uh, that's how I taught it through story, through. So a hundred percent has to there. It, it, I think it's irresponsible not to integrate, mm -hmm. and that's not just Jewish history. Any Jewish topic. Any, you know, whether it's Torah, and, you know, I always took a literary kind of approach to teaching it, even prayer, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, why would this person have composed this prayer having this theme? What was going on in the world then? And not even Jewishly. Yeah. You know, what part of the, of you know, some kind of thought movement mm -hmm. could this person have been, you know, Maimonides or, you know, who, who, what was influencing them that they were able to, you know, write this great body of work or whatever. So I always did. Yeah, well, and it's that, you know, especially in this Greek period, I, I thought it was so interesting that, you know, as we're talking about the sort of the rise of the Greeks and the Hanukkah story, like this is going on at the same time that Pythagoras and, you know, when we're learning math and, you know, whatever, that these things are happening simultaneously and just never connected to me yeah. until now, but it's really, I really found it fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, 100%, 100%. Tell me about how you remember teaching okay. the Hanukkah story, and then and then I want to talk about some of these extra little, almost Game of Thrones-like pieces that uh, that were news to me that okay. I don't think are as commonly taught. For sure. Okay, so I mean, 
here's what I'm going to zero in on, and I, I hope you remember this, but maybe not. So when I taught Hanukkah, it really wasn't about the miracle. It really even wasn't about the, you know, the, the many and the few and how we, you know, won the war. I mean, I mentioned them, but that was never my focus. My focus was about identity because that is what that story is about, the pride in being Jewish. And, you know, obviously I wouldn't say that to a, you know, eight-year-old, but I tried to, to, that was always my theme. So I'm going to take you back to a book. This is how I taught it. You may not remember it. It's literally my favorite um, Hanukkah book. It's called Yehuda Says No. Okay, so the story is, see, there you go, how many years later? The story is of Yehuda Maccabee, and it's written for young children, and he's this, it, it describes him as a child that no matter what anyone asked him, he said no, you know, and, you know, and so it goes through all, you know, whenever his mother asked him to do this, he said no, and, you know, it goes on and on and on until he grows up, and, and then the, end, the, the Hanukkah story enters, and so when he is you know, asked to really deny his identity, create out titles or what you, you know, a non-kosher food or whatever it was, this held him in, you know, he, he said no. He was able to say no. He had practiced being true to himself and his identity. So I don't think I have to go into how powerful that would be for an eight-year-old who loves saying no and flipping it on how that is such a positive, affirming you know, when it's appropriate. And so that would always be my kickoff to teaching it. So not only about pride and, and identity, but about being who you are and being true to yourself and, you know, talking about the surrounding culture and, and how hard that is and, and, and why we need to be proud and, and not be anti the other culture, but just own ours. So no matter what grade I was teaching, I have read that book to high school students and I love it because they get it. So that would be how, that was always how I approached that. I can't believe you remember that book. Oh, yeah. I, I, no, but, I, but it, I, I think that, I really think that's brilliant because that is really at the heart of it. That's and if you And imagining just even the, the practical piece of like these soldier, Greek soldiers coming around and they're soldiers. They've got weapons and they're, Absolutely. you know, forcing you to basically forsake your culture in a sort of very antagonistic way and um, to stand up to that and to, like, that's yeah. pretty remarkable. And then even for young children to say, obviously not in a violent way, but and, and no one's forcing us to do anything in this society, but, you know, when you're outside and you're seeing, like, the trees and the lights and, the you know, there's a sense of envy and the presence, look inside and say... Not, it's not a competition. This isn't even a major holiday in, in Judaism. It's only become one because of the you know, reaction to Christmas. Let's look at some of the positive. Let's look at some of the wonderful things that we celebrate. We get eight days. Like, you know, and not, not to make it a competitive thing, but just to, to recognize. So that, that was the next step mm -hmm. to not only just personal development, because you know, we always want to look at these, you know, these, our ancestors, these leaders. What do we learn from them? And maybe what do we learn not to do? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that that sort of brings us right to the. Yeah. Sort of, sort of the <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. You're but, welcome. Uh, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious. That was a big shocker to me. Uh, was learning about the importance of like the high priesthood, sort of the kohenadol, oh, and this, this, yes. these conflicts between different different brothers or Jewish families, and how. 
uh, and then eventually Jason yes. sort of takeover right. of Jerusalem. Right. So I'm curious just what your thoughts on are on that and if you if you had ever heard of that piece of the history what, before. What, so the Hasmonean dynasty, which was like a colossal failure, <laughs> pretty much. In some ways. Yeah, in, in, in some of, way. of course. So look, the positive was, you know, we it was really the first time we had an independent state. And, you know, obviously there were many, many positives to that. Um, but, you know, due to... Look, it's, it's also about leadership. Like, you know, I, it didn't matter whether it was Roman, Greek, Jewish. You know, our histories, this is one of the things I was thinking about, it seems so much of our, our history are the results of leaders' insecurity. This deadly combination of ego and low self-esteem. This is a, a theme I have in my life these days that has nothing to do with this. I know a few people who have that deadly combination. Tremendous ego... And, and low self-esteem. And I think that this is what drove the decisions of many, 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 many people in power, including our own you know, priests and, and, and our own leaders. And this was the, the downfall. This is what we need to learn from. So, yeah, so I think any, any of the stories that you told in those podcasts are the result of that. It had, there was no... You know, there was no consideration for the effect it would have on on people and, you know, the poor, even the rich. It was all about fulfilling their need for power and their need for, you know, wealth and, 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 and doing whatever they can to protect themselves. You know, certainly there's more accountability in our modern times than there was then. They were, they were I mean, they were dictators. They were monarchs. So there was no, you know, unless they got murdered in battle or assassinated, that was the only recourse. And, you know, because of greed need for land, power, etc. That's the other piece. Mm -hmm. Like I know one of the things that, that you had mentioned in, 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 in your questions is is this uh, and later on in history, this need for more land and that was a, like and that is a cultural thing. Like when is enough? I mean, never mind land. You know, is safe and secure borders is that enough? Mm -hmm. I'd say yes. Mm -hmm. Do we need more? And I mean, we collectively. Yeah. I mean, and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> Canada. No. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, we can talk about that because that's honestly that was one of the, um, and just to to name it out loud, what we're we're hinting at here, but we're um, we're talking about Israel. Yes, and, of course. Right? Uh, and so one thing that actually kicked off my interest in all of this was a lot of the things I was seeing in the discourse around. <laughs> the conflict going on in Israel, um, particularly last spring. Yes. Uh, and a lot of things that I felt that I was honestly not equipped to handle um, knowledge-wise and yep. just, you know, advocacy-wise. And so what I found really interesting about going back into this history is that there's actually, it's not, at least from an academic point of view, there's not a lot of debate in nope. the academic world nope. about the history of the region. Um, yep. And I, that's one of the reasons I think it's important to know this history is so that you can sort out, you know, what's true and what's not true is to the best of our knowledge oh, as a society. Yeah, but my truth is my truth. Well, right. And this is a huge issue everywhere. Yeah. Truth no longer means equals facts. Truth means what I believe to be the facts. And I think that is really the fundamental problem with so much of what's going on, you know, including in Israel. There's my narrative, and there's, 
you know, the other narrative and is, and they're both valued equally, um, whether they're based on, and I'm talking both, both ways, whether they're based on fact or not, what actually happened, yeah. what actually happened, yeah. you know, interpretation is up for grabs, of course. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is a core issue. Yeah. And things are messy in history and things oh, yeah. are complicated. And I thought it was important in this, in this podcast to really get a broad scope of things and not just talk about the Jews as victims, but also talk about some of the problematic aspects of, for example, the Hasmonean dynasty and um, the, in the incredible things that they did and also the majorly problematic things because um, they're all tied up together. As always, there's nothing that is binary. Like, you know, there's nothing. It's never this or that. It's always, you know, when you talk about human, human beings, it's always messy. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I mean, look, in terms of the Hasmoneans, they created an independent Jewish state. I mean, and, and, and everything that means, as a matter of fact, I mean, one of the things I always teach, and no one ever knows this, why do we, you know, it's tradition to give, well, in my day, it was like actual money. Mm -hmm. I mean, the presents were never part of Hanukkah. That just was because of Christmas. You got money, you got coins. My Zayda used to give me like a silver dollar every year. Mm -hmm. Um, so and now it's chocolate money, but whatever. It's a symbolic. Why do we give money? Well, because it it actually represents an independent state has its own cur currency, mm -hmm. and so it's it's the recognition of the time in history where we finally you know had our own land, and had and had and had control over our lives and our destiny for a very short period of time. Yeah, well, and the first time since yes, in exactly. The of Israel since exactly. David and, and you know, before the, the destruction of the first temple and the sort of Babylonian exactly. invasion. And then exile. Yeah. Exactly. So here we are, you know, all these years later, 2,000-something years later, having this independent state controlling, to a large part, our daily lives. And I am including that into the, into the diaspora because, mm -hmm. you know, what happens in Israel has an enormous effect, and, and vice versa. It's a two-way street, not a one-way street. And I know that isn't always... Accepted. Yeah. I think we have as much influence, you know, etc. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and hopefully control of our destiny to a certain degree, much more than we ever have before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the, the, the idea of, you know, should Israel exist? I mean, that's not even, for me, it's not even a conversation. Yeah. It's how Israel should exist. Yeah. That's the question. And that's what we need to talk about. Or not you and I, but yeah. that's what the world needs to talk about. Well, I'd love to talk... Be about and I wasn't initially sort of planning on talking about this, but I think it's it's a perfect uh, sort of segue. Um, I want to talk a little bit about indigeneity. Um, I'm throwing this at you now, but um, throw away for for a number of reasons, but uh, especially because of what the events of the past couple of years. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about indigeneity, lots of advocacy. Uh, going on and so I I, I just want to talk a little bit about what it means to you and how you feel about Jewish indigeneity and sort of the the identity that Jews have in modern day society in the diaspora especially in North America and sort of the discourse around that oh that's a short that's a small <laughs> you I know mean, an easy question for you look I mean, I'm still struggling with this too. So there is nothing I'm going to say that's that is definitive. You know, I thought this whole idea of indigeneity in general. You know, it, it's you know it's a very big topic globally. 
um, a lot, you know, it's not a new topic, <laughs> especially for the people considered themselves Indigenous, um, but for those of us who... So, I mean, if you have deep roots in a land, that counts for something. And I don't think it's necessarily who got here first. If you feel you have these, you know, familial ancestral roots in this in this land then you should have certain rights you know in, in, in you know in in an in an ideal world you know in terms of Israel there are you know there are Arab people people of Middle Eastern descent who feel very strongly that they have indigenous roots in this country or this land I don't even say country because that you know that's even debatable I say, okay. I say, I mean, in a dream world, everyone could live wherever they wanted. And, and, you know, in terms of like why, you know, these lines that we, you know, put on maps, you know, the green line, the this line, the disputed line, the, you know, to me, I, I understand the reality of it. I know the history of it. I know why it happened. But if we could only get past this concept of indigeneity, well, how it's being de defined, I think, today as who got here first. You know, I was here for it, therefore I am indigenous. And anybody who's after can't claim to be indigenous. I don't know, maybe I don't understand it, but that, that's how I see it. So I don't find this a competition. And this whole idea of colonialism, we're not even discussing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why this history is important too, is because this, like, it's quite clear in the historical record, the indigeneity of Jews to that particular area, right? We have... Yeah abundant evidence that yes the Jews have been there since at or you know latest of course 1200 you know BCE right um, and so I think that the if that is a criteria as you are saying for indigeneity I think it's quite clear that that based on this history that that Jews take that box of indigeneity a hundred percent and so I to me that's the biggest problem that I have with this labeling of Jews in Israel as colonial, um, because I, I think that is simply a denial of what's clearly foundational history. Exactly. Now, now, what is ha you know incidents and events that have happened that have caused, forced, whatever. There's many you know can't generalize. You know, people who are not Jewish mm -hmm. to leave that land, mm -hmm. and that is you know many many complicated reasons. Um, why that happened that's a different that's a different story totally you know and so yeah this colonial narrative is you know just on both sides it's just to me you know just muddying the waters yeah which are already extremely <laughs> yes yes i think these are important conversations that aren't had as i think we tend to have extremes of these conversations well, that we hear about and yeah people don't often address the I think the complexity and actually bring it back to foundations and history and yep. what we actually know. It's it's and it's also the telling of history is a selective memory. Yeah. And 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 whoever the teller is, you know, that that's the narrative you're gonna hear and that's that's human nature. The challenges and as we talked about earlier, is to step back and say, okay, 
for example, this is what the Hasmonean dynasty, this is what, what really worked well. You know, the conflict, the competition between the high priests, not so good. You know, so what, what happened in history in our own narrative do we need to learn from to do better, to not make those decisions again? I, you know, I go back to why we teach history to students. And what, what thing should we emulate and say, you know, that, that worked really well and that could work in our time. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, we learn from our past. And one thing um, that I've experienced and that comes back to what you were talking about, about how um, you, we got to look at the things that worked well and that didn't work well, um, is I see echoes of the, the sort of splitting of Jewish society around the Roman period between the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes. Oh, except, like, I was thinking of that. And, and I see that really... Uh, resembles to me all of the different groups of Jews today who have very different ideas and beliefs about what Judaism is, about how we should teach Jewish history, how our communities should be organized. Um, and so I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that and sort of the parallels there between sort of the as Jewish society got more complex in the Roman period and things, you know, you started to have these fracturings of Jewish society and I think like, do you see that today, and how have you experienced that in your life? Whew. So, I've always considered myself a bridge builder, not a moat digger. Mm -hmm. okay. So, I feel very, very strongly that, you know, the, the diversity of the Jewish world is a positive as long as we respect each other. I will never, you know, you know I, I happen to have a membership at a Reformed synagogue. I don't call myself a Reformed Jew. I call myself a Jew. I would even call myself a post-denominational Jew for me because I, I try to take, you know, the strengths and the things that mean the most to me from different movements in Judaism. And that's how I try to live my life, and that's what I try to teach my children. I, I think this is, this is crucial for our survival. We cannot afford to, to be divisive. You know, I mean, we can disagree. We don't have to, you know, I, we don't have to be alike. This is crucial. I, I, I'm not going to tell you, Daniel, how to live your life as a Jew. I will, I always say this as an educator. I will never tell you. I will offer you. Here's this incredible buffet of Jewish thought and practice and, and history and everything. You know, this is for you to choose, but choose from a point of, of knowledge and education. Don't, you know, don't throw it away or embrace it just because, because someone else is. You know, be, be, be an informed chooser. I agree, I totally agree. And if we see the, especially with the first Jewish-Roman war, like we see oh, yes. what happened when the Jews were divided. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, another thing that I wanted to ask because this blew my mind, and I, I could imagine you being interested in this too, is the Apocrypha, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and this total alternative Jewish tradition. Um, well, creation story. Creation story, right? Yes. It's this totally different creation story. Yeah. And the direct line that, that, first of all, how much that permeated Jewish life in those days, and how that actually led to figures like Jesus rising as, as prominent figures in Jewish society. Fabulous. Yeah, talk to me about that. Well, look, it's again, it's one of the reasons that Judaism has survived is because of the really the modernization 
of, of, of Judaism, the, the constant reinterpretation, looking at these ancient texts and thought and knowledge through a modern lens. That is why we still exist, against all odds. It's actually miraculous. And, and I, I was actually, I do this book club um, and I was doing it uh, yesterday and it, the novel the, that we were studying, there was a comment made by the author, we watched an interview about how Judaism is about time. We haven't had space. We haven't had place. Maybe that's why we put the rocks on the, on, on the gravestones. It, it is really an anomaly. And, and when you look at all of Jewish history, we've had so little place to call our own. So it's all about time. It's a temporal kind of existence. So to me, this, this just made sense. Like, it, you know, it's another, you know, foundational story. It's another creation story. I mean, every culture has it. You know, I, I'm in the middle of beginning to learn about our Indigenous culture. I'm involved with a lot of Indigenous educators, so it feels, as a Canadian, it's my responsibility to actually, embarrassingly, way too late, really start to learn about that. And, and I listened to, you know, a couple variations of their creation story. The themes are the same. It, it doesn't matter who the characters are, but I, I understand this whole division of this world of evil and and. And I was thinking about, I mean, Judaism so much, and, and I, this is maybe a question for you because I haven't really had time to think about it, but Judaism is so much about what you do in this world. And I am not, uh, you know, I am not an expert on Christianity in any way, shape, or form, but it seems to me that a, a lot of it is what, what, what your life will be in the world to come, or the Lama Baz we say in Hebrew this notion, well, the notion of good and evil has existed in every religion, every religion. So what do you think? What do you, do you think that that, that that story influenced that concept of it is what we... I totally do. I do. I think... Because that's what I thought about. Yeah, from what I know of the, the Apocrypha, I mean, that was really the seed of, if you like, that was almost progressive Judaism, and I'm kind of using that in quotation marks. I agree. And, and that was what this whole idea, even before Jesus, you know, John the Baptist was an apocryphal prophet, and there were several, you know, of these prophets who yep. were, in my mind, the progressive mm -hmm. Jews of the day who were putting forward these, these alternative ideas, and that's really Absolutely. where you get the seedlings of these ideas of you know, the sons of light and sons of darkness, like this good and evil, yep. the, the angels being a more central figures in, in Jewish history, and the idea of this almost anti uh, or antithesis of God-like figure um, who's, you know, cast out of heaven and these kind of things. Like, uh, And it all revolved around this idea of, and that was really the, the idea of a Messiah, where that really took hold and took prominence was with this alternative narrative of Jewish history and Jewish, you know, genesis um, that ultimately gave rise to Christianity and, you know, the apocryphal prophets and that movement very quickly built up steam and I'm, I'm in the process of working on season two of the podcast wow. now and it, it, that really becomes an enormous part of an influence on Jewish history. So this, this messianic concept, I always used to say to my students, we're not waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah is waiting for us. And I mean, I, I know that's not an original, you know, 
I don't know who said it, but that is the core of Judaism. It is onto us to, you know, tikkun olam, to fix this world, to change this world. And, you know, as, as we all as individuals in the community continue to try hopefully to do that, maybe this messianic time, not person, of, you know, greater peace and equality and all those things that we hope for might happen, you know. It's like an aspiration. It's an aspiration. It's an affirmation. It, you know, it's embodied in a person. Whether that's Jesus or Elijah, or, again, it's story to me. But the, the, the action, the incentive, who, who wouldn't have that? Yeah, I really like that idea of the Messiah being more of an aspirational time as opposed to sort of the person that, um, that we're waiting for. Yeah. That whole idea, I agree with you, that this was just, you know, a, another stream of Judaism. And I would say, and like I, I said, I'm not sure, you know, I'm no, I'm no scholar here, but it seemed to me that it was a lot of the same values, Christianity, same values, very similar, just without the ritual. It, 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 you know, just in some ways how the ritual and, and, and law to the letter of the law has dissipated in many of the, in many of the movements in Ju Judaism. Some are still relevant, some are not. You have more of a choice of how you want to act, not ethically. You know, I always talk about there are ritual Jews and ethical Jews. Ideally, it's, it is the same person. But when someone says to me, well, I'm not a practicing Jew, you know, I don't like, you know, the three, I call it the three whatevers. I don't go to synagogue. I don't keep kosher. And, you know, I don't take, I don't keep Shabbat. Therefore, I'm not a practicing Jew. And I always look at them and I say, okay, how do you conduct your business? Do you do it in an ethical way? And I get, they have a number of questions. And, you know, of course, it's yes, yes, yes. I said, you're an ethical Jew. You are living based on certainly universal values, but specifically Jewish. You know, do you give to charity? Do you, all those kinds of things. So just because you're not a ritual Jew, you don't find meaning in the ritual, does not mean you're not a practicing Jew. And this is for some people uh, sort of an epiphany. I totally, I totally feel the same way. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I don't know. I think we've covered most of it. <laughs> the existential, the existential parts of life. fun this was for me and thank you so much for for joining me and i hope we can do this again sometime yes but next time you have to bring your guitar yes so for those uh, people out there daniel and i one of my greatest joys with daniel is 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 him playing guitar all my old music and and singing together so maybe that'll be our next meeting but thank you so much for having me on and i it's been an absolute delight to to you you it's always wonderful when the student becomes the teacher <laughs> right. well Thank you.